Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today I'm talking with Aaron Kosarek, Vice President, Advanced Technology and Growth at Case. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks, Patrick. It's good to be here. So Aaron's previously worked for Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, and at Raytheon, just previous to coming to Case, she was Senior Director, Enterprise Hypersonics Campaign, and prior to that, Director, Missile Defense Program Area in Business Development. So she has a lot of experience in missile systems, and so I thought it'd be great for us to discuss some of those subjects and maybe even get into hypersonic missile and defense, since that's a really hot topic. So you're new to CASE. Can you tell us a little more about your background and maybe what you're doing there at CASE now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So, you know, as you said, I, I have a, you know 20-some years in, in industry, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, as you mentioned, and... Uh, it's interesting. It's been an interesting journey how I got here. You know, I grew up in a family of academics and got my education via communications and uh, business, a couple of degrees there. And then I think, you know, I delved into the defense and aerospace business right around the time I met my husband. You know, I married a uh, Air Force officer and a warfighter. He flew um, most of his career there. And I I learned firsthand the importance of of what industry does, uh, what industry develops, and its importance to the warfighters' safety as well as, you know, our nation really, and keeping Americans and our citizens safe. So, you know, al- along with getting to know him and what he he did and serving uh, the 27 years he served, uh, it really just gave me so much energy and motivation to contribute to make a difference. Um, so that's kind of how I, I landed in defense and aerospace and and grew my career from there. I. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, learning from engineers and and leading programs and getting my hands on anything I could, you know, be curious about and learn about. And then I was able to turn that those leadership skills I developed and the knowledge into uh, roles where I was able to make a difference in program leadership and business development and developing capabilities for our warfighters. And, you know, Ultimately, that experience led me to the job I, I'm in today at Case. Uh, I'm very privileged to hold, you know, leading leading a bunch of innovators and top talent to develop, you know, really necessary advanced electronics and capabilities uh, for our nation. So, the journey's been incredibly fulfilling and not nearly over. <laughs> That's great. So you have an extensive background in missile systems. What trends are you seeing there, both offensive and defensive? Well, on both fronts, the weapons and the threats are, are just getting faster and, and more advanced. You know, we're seeing higher speeds, uh, maneuverable threats, um, capabilities that, you know, missiles and effectors that travel further distances. Uh, we're seeing more exotic materials that make up these uh, weapon systems, uh, more advanced electronics that that do things that, you know, you know, we could have never even thought of 30 years ago. So, you know, the, I think the biggest thing with these new new threats, both offensive and, and defensive, is is their ability to maneuver, and then they're just their sheer speed. The the you know they get to us in and you know or minutes versus um, hours now, and we're having to to really pace that, develop these advanced electronics and exotic materials that can withstand the heat of flying at those temperatures uh, to defend against those threats. And then um, put a lot of emphasis into to modeling and simulation, and, and you know take test data and learn from our adversaries' missile tests, and and learn from what our our allied partners are doing, and, and take all of that in in a testing environment and really apply it to defend against these threats. 
I guess, you know, looking at our peers on the global stage, you know, we're seeing huge investments that they're making in, in this leap ahead technology and especially in their testing uh, capabilities, they're testing, you know, hundreds of, of, of weapons, you know, a year. And I guess the other trend um, that we've seen over the last 10 years is their significant investment in their workforce, the number of PhDs they're generating, the number, you know, of engineers and STEM degrees. So, on the home front, um, great news is there's just huge bipartisan support for developing the, these capabilities, or I should say actually operationalizing these capabilities. The U.S. has had these, these capabilities and technologies for years. You know, we were leveraging what NASA has learned and all that we did in space exploration and space travel into um, being able to develop and capabilities to defend uh, against the, these threats. So. You know, we also see evidence of that strong bipartisan support and the strong budgets uh, that we see over the next several years and what this administration and, and our industry leaders are investing in, you know, um, all the, the technology that goes into defending against these threats, we're getting there. And the nation is, has definitely made a, a choice, a very clear choice to uh, take this technology out of the labs and, and operationalize it and field it so that we're, we have a very strong uh, defense posture. Yeah, it's great. You can see that the threats are very clear and that you get the bipartisan support because that doesn't happen in many subjects these days. Yep. So how is this affecting radar systems? You know, what trends are pushing radar systems to adopt of this maneuverability and speed and other things? Right. So, you know, I mentioned these threats are coming faster than ever before, Pat. Um, you know, they're more difficult to detect, track, and defeat than ever. Uh, it makes us, you know, put our investment priorities in, in radars and seekers. So, you know, if you can't see it, you can't defeat it. So we need more, you know, eyes out there than, than ever before, so to speak, uh, particularly the threats coming from the space domain now. You know, so really in order to do that, no, no one country, no you know, one company can do it alone. So the co the international cooperation uh, to network our sensors and radars is, you know, more imperative now than, than ever uh, because the threats are just coming from all, all domains. Um, you know, we need smaller, lower cost, attributable, you know, resilient, higher performance systems. Uh, so these new requirements are driving um, advanced, you know, a lot of advanced electronics, you know, for example, RF system in a package, you know, architectures are important now and application specific integrated circuits or ASICs uh, that can support a direct to digital data conversion and higher frequency um, RF. And what that gets you is, is near real-time processing. And that near real-time processing is, is what's needed for the, the sheer speed of these weapons. So we're, we're getting there. Um, we're addressing the, the, you know, what we've seen trending for the last decade uh, with what our adversaries are doing and uh, really looking at those low swap or uh, low size weight and, and performance uh, kinds of systems. So we've seen Russia and China fielding hypersonic systems. What progress is the U.S. making with hypersonic missiles? The U.S. is making great progress, and I, I love to talk about this, you know, uh, it's near and dear to my heart the time I spent at, at Lockheed and both Raytheon, and we're seeing we're seeing both of those companies and several others make huge progress. You know, just this week we saw Lockheed have yet another successful aero test um, 
their air launch rapid weapon. And, you know, we've seen a tremendous increase in our testing. And of course, like I said, we, we've just now chosen to operationalize the technology we've, we've had for decades. So we're seeing that um, in Lockheed's system there. And then also most recently one, you know, very close to, to me and that I, I was able to, to be a part of uh, was the hypersonic air breathing weapon cruise missile that uh, Raytheon is, is developing. So they've had uh, a couple successful flight tests now too. So, you know, we're making huge progress, particularly on the air breathing side. The boost glide side is is also progressing. That's that's a, a tougher uh, tougher weapon to build. It leaves the atmosphere. It travels just at wicked high speeds, and that's you know those are the ones that we'll see longer range. And and again, we you know the nation has several oars in the water. We're seeing programs of record established now, and the healthy budgets and bipartisan support clearly indicate the, pr the progress that uh, the U.S. is making. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be remiss not to mention the allied cooperation, big part of that, you know, testing. We have to leverage, um, you know, the assets, resources, and testing of, of our allies to learn and to be able to accelerate the development and fielding of these systems. So what developments are needed to realize effective hypersonic missiles for the U.S.? Are there any further things that need to be done or we just need to optimize the systems we have? Yeah, there's definitely some things that that we need to focus on to to be able to go faster and really to build build at scale. You know, our manufacturing capabilities at scale um, will test us. And again, that's where we're we're really looking for more allied cooperation. Um there's, uh, you know, to 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 be able to field, to test and field the, these high speed weapons, you need um, very robust testing capabilities. Everything from modeling and simulation to be able to to adapt and 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 collect artificial intelligence, machine learning data. You need wind tunnels to be able to test uh, the materials and the components against the environmental kind of uh, conditions these weapons are going to fly in. You, uh, we we have only a limited number of those wind tunnels in our nation. So investing in testing capabilities is is one thing. Uh, we need to further mature and develop to have more of. Um, another another important thing to hit on here is I mentioned I mentioned our our uh, global peers. You know some of our adversaries really investing in their workforce. We have a national shortage of engineers. I I don't think that's any. Um, any new news. And, you know, here at Case, it's no different. And, you know, I, I mentioned one of the things we have done to, to address, you know, the national shortage of engineers is, is we acquired Colorado Engineering, which happens to be where I sit. And it's the advanced technology and engineering arm of Case. Um, so we were able to, to get um, quite a bit more capability, ultimately, to develop end-to-end -end, uh, systems. You know, Case had had decades of experience developing the front end of radar solutions. Uh, and now with that acquisition of Colorado Engineering, uh, we're able to do the modeling and simulation and back-end processing and algorithm development for some of these advanced electronics we've I've mentioned. Um, and that really enables us to develop end-to-end -end solutions for our customers. And oh, by the way, we got you know a ton of uh, new talent and, and uh, engineering expertise in the in the business. So you know, we as a nation have to continue um, doing that for the benefit of, of the warfighter and the safety of our nation and, and looking at ways we, we address that problem, um, partnering with universities and investing in our youth. 
those STEM degrees are just incredibly important um, for this particular mission area. So I, you know, I love to spend a lot of time um, with kids and really telling them about what I do and why to address that workforce problem. So how are radar and other defensive systems adapting to defeat against the hypersonic threats? Well, great question. Uh, so it's all about speed, as we've talked about, and, and maneuverability, but speed. So high-performance computing is very important when it comes to defending against these hypersonic threats and, and really, you know, any high-speed weapon. You know, I don't want to discount the supersonic or subsonic missiles either because they're all doing incredible things, you know, that we haven't uh, had to address uh, in, in the past. So how we're adapting, you know, we're, we're looking at 360 degree sensing and all systems, uh, radars and the, the layered defense sensing architecture, I'll say, looking at 360 degree sensing, uh, putting advanced seekers on our, our platforms. Uh, so think of the seekers as, as the eyes of the effector or, you know, the eyes of whatever platform that seeker is riding on. Uh, we're, you know, we're moving the technology to digital processing. We're looking at dual mode data links, meaning um, broad RF band so that it can see and discriminate uh, more effectively, more timely. We're looking at, uh, we're developing software defined data links that are networked so that we can tap any sensor, you know, anytime. So radar systems, we're adapting them really to detect profile and track targets at longer ranges and at, with the faster scan times. And a couple of technologies that we're using to do that are, are I mentioned before, the, the RF system in a package, uh, and then processing accelerators such as, you know, field programmable gate arrays or FPGAs uh, and graphic processing units, GPUs. Think of that in uh, terms of, you know, the gaming world, um, how how fast and and how how high the resolution is and and the same kind of technology is being used to address you know the, to defeat threats to see them timely be able to make decisions be able to defeat uh, so those are the, some of the things that we're embedding and investing in at case as our our, our partners and um, you know industry in general to be able to to pace the threat and be able to um, address it timely yeah you don't like lag in gaming or in uh, hypersonic threats <laughs> Right, right. So what improvements are needed in sensing and computing to achieve these effective systems? One of the things I mentioned, uh, the dual mode, the broader RF bandwidth, that, that really enables uh, full multifunction capability, you know, and that that's also supported, you know, that what's also needed is, is load latency communications uh, and processing capabilities. So that high performance computing, networked uh, systems, and then, you know, the expansion of something called heterogeneous processing, you know, coupled with um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, and you do, you can do that in a modeling and simulation environment when you take tracks and, you know, we were able to monitor adversary testing as well as our own testing and learn, learn quite a bit from that, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence. And we, we can put that into advancing our, our sensing and then computing capabilities in that digital environment. And in doing that, you just reduce so much uh, cycle time, paper time, and it reduces latency. And, th and that's what it's all about with these high-speed weapons in particular, it's it's the latency. You just, you don't have time. Um, you know, you have to shorten that decision timeline to be able to address that threat. 
So you cover the computing and sensing end of it. Is there anything else needed to have a fully effective defensive system against these hypersonic threats? Uh, you know, I think I think that are needed, you know, that robust sensing networked architecture, as many eyes in the sky and really not just the sky, the whole layer, you know, from from undersea to sea to, to, to air to space, you know, that robust system that sees, sees, um, you need that first and foremost. So, you know, working with our allied partners internally and being able to leverage, tap into all of those sensors um, is 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 you know, we're on a path to do that. And that will, you know, that'll uh, make the effectiveness of um, the architecture defending against the these threats that'll advance that, the, you know, the more uh, we're able to cooperate with allies, share sensor data, net, you know, develop that network architecture. And then we talked about the testing, you know, the, te the testing is so important. You know, you got high speed stuff, you got materials that are exotic you got to have a testing environment you got to have a range to fly them in so the testing is really important and and again you know no one company no one country so the, the cooperation there um to to be able to test at, at the same pace as, as some of our our uh, peers is is imperative uh to be able to accelerate and, and go fast and enable the effectiveness ultimately of of the inventory and and our capabilities and learning from each other, you know, well, it will always be a constant learning environment technology. You know, it's just incredible the pace uh, of technology advancements. So we've seen China test some of these weapons and Russia even use one in Ukraine. Uh, what's the expected timeline for the U.S. to have this type of technology available? Well, certainly, certainly this decade, you know, we're already seeing the successful flight tests. Uh, we have the capabilities it's operationalizing and being able to manufacture these at scale, you know. So, so it's it's the aerostructures, it's it's the weapons themselves. It's uh, also very important, and in, in my role here at Case, and and with the amazing talent I have around me, it's the electronics packages that go inside. You know, that's that's kind of the brains, avionics, electronics of of the system. Uh, and that's that's where the focus is right now is is making sure these enabling technologies. Uh, are going to meet the the needs of the warfighter, and that they will have confidence that when they you know launch or push or we need to defend against a certain threat, it's going to work. And 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 we're you know we're there. We're in that testing environment, and uh, we've flown successfully and accomplished mission objectives on a number of flight tests now. Um, so now it's all about getting them into you know the producibility piece of it and developing these at scale. And you know the whole point of this is is really a strong, strong deterrence posture. We want everybody to think twice because the technology and uh, robustness of our our systems, and it's everything from the the aerostructure to to the you know the the propulsion systems to the the electronics, and it's all coming together. Having covered all this, uh, just in general, what future developments do you think are coming for missile systems? Well, I think, you know, technology is always going to evolve and we're going to continue to look at ways to go further, go faster. Um, we're going to continue to evolve these systems to be software defined, have software defined payloads, electronic payloads, um, have single hardware configurations, um, active and passive radars for, for stealth, electronic warfare, 
Um, we talked about comms integration and the importance of networking. You know, I always like to, to use the iPhone as, as kind of an analogy in this moving forward. You know, just, you know, not so long ago, certainly in my professional career, there was a time where we didn't have something called an I, iPhone. You know, we had separate separate components. We had, you know, we had a camera, we had, um, you know, separate chat boxes, we had separate, you know, filing systems, separate, you know, emails, uh, just all kinds of, of technology and components that we had, you know, separately. And then along came a software defined architecture where you could have all of those components integrated into one small device. And, you know, that's, that's not so different from what we're doing with, with missile or factor technology and many platforms is, is, com is combining those into a single defined software defined uh, front end uh, so that we're able to uh, miniaturize, um, you know, put components together to have a force multiplier effect. Uh, so one system to do mul multiple functions. And that's where we're going with missiles. We're, we're arguably there and we're gonna continue to miniaturize to address size, weight, performance and cost so that we're able to uh, continue to to improve and advanced capabilities to address these threats coming from all domains. Well, I think that sums it up nicely. Thank you so much, Aaron, for talking with me today about missile systems and hypersonic technology. We appreciate your insights and hope to have you back again in the future for a podcast. For our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com or on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening.